Hello and welcome to VentureCast. This is David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital. It's been a sufficiently long... I know it's very inconvenient when our job interferes with our ability to talk about our job. That's annoying. <laughs> or you consider this your social life. <laughs> Sitting here talking is, to me, that's pretty this sad. Is it. Yeah, that is sad. Howard, you're my only friend. Do you still go to Joni's for breakfast every day? <laughs> I did today. I had breakfast at Joni's with, uh, with Astro Teller, the head of Google X. It was very nice. Actually, this was terrible. This is, oh, this is... This is the the problem with uh, Lyft, or this idea that, you know, every so often I'll decide I have a meeting in the city and I'd rather, instead of drive up, I'll I'll take Lyft up to the city, right? And then I come back down and I go home, but my car's here, and then I have this car that I forgot. So this morning I had breakfast and my car was here, my wife had a meeting, she had her car, my daughter had the car at school, I had no cars. I looked for my scooter, and it had disappeared. I don't know where it was. So I ended up having to skateboard over to Joni's, and I'm not that good at skateboarding anymore. <laughs> it was a little perilous. Like electric skateboard? No, just skating. I had to use my legs. Wait, didn't you break your wrist? Oh, that was roller no, that was rollerblading. That, roller that was rollerblading, yes. No, I'm an excellent... That's I'm a five-inch scar I'm looking at. <laughs> I think it's two, two inches. <laughs> five-inch would like go to your elbow. <laughs> That'd be a giant scar. So anyway, yeah, so it, it, I, have, I do think this is this interesting thing, right? Obviously, there are times when, in fact, I, will, I would rather take a ride up than drive, but then you have this logistical challenge of getting your vehicle back. It'll be so much better when your car just takes itself back home. Or your car follows you around. <laughs> That's basically still there? what you're saying. It's like having a puppy dog. No, you don't have to ask. You know it's just following you along. So I was saying to, to Astro this morning that uh, I had two kids who drive and I have two kids who don't, one of whom insists on not driving and how that's ridiculous. And he was like, what's ridiculous, ridiculous about it? That kid's right. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, no one's going to need to drive. It's stupid. People... I said, I suspect that you have a shorter time frame in which you think that will happen than I do. And he said, yes, I'm sure that's true. But that's his job. It's, it's his job at X to you know, assume that cars will drive us around sooner than humans. It's going to be an interesting transition time. I'll tell you, we drove up to Healdsburg on Friday, and it should have taken two hours, and it took three and a half. And I really wished my car could drive itself. You could have taken a lift. Wait, but didn't we used to say Uber and now we say Lyft? Yeah. <laughs> Don't go down there. Howard, we said we weren't going to go there. I, you can say whatever you want. I just, think it, I just think it's interesting to be in the pole position and saw off your own toes. <laughs> That's not you not going there. <laughs> Jeff Immel. Apparently, he's the front runner to be the CEO of Uber, but he doesn't want to move out here. So just move the whole company. And how much of the company... So we had a company pitch us today, and it has a distributed workforce, and we said, you know, let's talk about that, and why, and how do you think about it, or whatever. And he said, look at every company, when it gets to any degree of scale, is ultimately has, ultimately has a distributed workforce, right? You automatically move... Oh, I'm going to build an engineering team overseas, or I'm going to build a, a call center here, or a call center there. And actually... I had never thought about it that way, but it's a good point. 
Don't you think? I think as the communication tech capabilities and tools that are available keep growing, this whole concept of distributed team doesn't work it really is going away. Like 15 years ago, the tools didn't exist. And email, you didn't, you had, uh, email wasn't definitely going to be delivered. Like you don't worry about email deliverability anymore between no. team members. Other than spam, yeah. So when you get a, when you when it's between team members and you have the same domain, then no. And now you okay. walk into offices and they have a big screen on the wall and they've got Skype channel open twenty four seven between two places. Yep. And they, yeah, I think the technology's caught up and so much for uh, trying to fund companies that are local. We shouldn't even bother. But then we have to Skype into board meetings. That's good. You don't and have to drive that three and a half hours we, we, anymore. It, it is true. If things are absolutely uh, virtual, then there's no longer this argument. Because we often say, like, we'd rather fund companies that are local because we have these deep relationships in the Bay Area. And if you're trying to find a great VP of engineering or VP of marketing or whatever, we are more likely to have those relationships locally than we are elsewhere. But if, in fact, it doesn't make a bit of difference, then who cares? Right, then fine, I have relationships here and I can help you if your company's in Idaho, I can still help you find the right marketing person here in the Bay Area and that's helpful as well. Yeah, but helping to find people who are here, yes, but funding a company in Quebec and hiring them a marketing person in Denver, we can't really help there all that much. Well, that's what I'm saying, but they don't want, they don't need someone in Denver. If they're fully distributed, they'll have them wherever. So if we know someone anywhere, it's like, great. You can get my friend Jason, who's a sales guy in New Hampshire, to work with the company. And salespeople have always been like this, right? Jason's on a plane more than he had. The, the, the best thing about the location of his house in New Hampshire is that it's close to, uh, I think, to the Nashua Airport or whatever. When Concord I moved Airport? when I, I moved to Luxembourg in two thousand and two, I picked that country purely because it's in the center of Europe. You could fly round trip nonstop to any major city you wanted to, and from leaving your front door in the city to getting on the plane was under thirty minutes. Well, drive to the airport, park across the street, walk in, go through security, walk to the plane. And there was enough volume of flights that that was fine? Every day there was one flight that went out and one flight that came back and it went out somewhere between 6 and 8.30 in the morning and it came back sometime between 4 and 6.30 at night. So you could go meet with someone somewhere in and Estonia, go back and be done. Or else, like the farthest flight was three hours. So yes, you could go anywhere you wanted. What is amazing to me is that there are people who live in that those circumstances and then don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that seems insane, right? Americans go overseas. They go to you know study abroad, and then they're like, "Oh, I'm going to go to Berlin for the day. I'm going to do whatever." It's like this is amazing, particularly a Californian, right? Where like you can get everywhere for the time it would take you to get to LA. So you might as well just you know hop in a plane. And yet there are all sorts of people who sort of stay in their provincial spots, like me. <laughs> You mean, David you travels mean, a lot, and I go out of my way not to. And between the two of us, it's sort of bad. It's even. It's even. But I was just saying, I'm not traveling that much this semester because I'm teaching, and so I have to be in town to spread the wisdom, Howard. I must be present for wisdom spreading. Watch your language. <laughs> sharing. Wisdom sharing? Was it the spreading? I don't think it was the wisdom. Hey, I got, let's talk about this uh, new wave of speculative ICOs. Uh, 
What does that think, even mean? So initial coin offerings. <laughs> initial companies coin are now creating their own currencies. They're offering up to sell some percentage of those currencies in order to generate cash, and they're raising money to fund their company without selling off any equity in their company as they create a new currency. And I, I just don't see how this ends well. That's because it doesn't. First of all, I'd like to take issue with ICO. Okay, an IPO is an initial public offering. It's not an ISO, an initial share offering. It's an initial public offering. So these ICOs, initial coin offerings, are actually IPOs, initial public offerings. They're selling coins With no to regulation. The With no regulation. Which I don't under... How is that? Why is... You know, where is the SEC? I think the SEC will come out the first time we have a massive fraud scheme, which is coming. Coming, for sure. Where the ones to date have been smart, techie, honest folks, and the next one that comes may well be a smart, techie, dishonest folk who raises $100 million in the blink of an eye and then absconds with the money somewhere. And people are going to be holding their coins. So to me, right, which they can verify, I absolutely, it's self-verifying that I have this coin. Yes, and it's worth zero dollars, but you do have it. It's a virtual you coin. You give out coins at the lobby. I always we have. Should call, we should do an ICO this year at the <laughs> lobby where you say, okay, who wants to buy some of these coins? That's true. Anyone who has the full collection needs to get them. We could sell the coin logo to the highest sponsor. That would be like an ICO. Yeah, exactly. If anyone's listening and they want to sponsor our our game coins, let us know. Uh, so I'm worried about the fraud here. So, I think it's coming. So even if there isn't fraud, right? So I, I agree with you. It's definitely coming. There's no question. It's not controlled enough. Whatever. Uh, in fact, it's not not controlled at all. But even if it's not, even if the people are actually acting completely. Honestly, here's the problem, and you and you pointed it out. There are these technology companies that are supposed to be creating value with their technology. So different folks using uh, using the um, blockchain to create value, either by you know data sharing or identity or all sorts of things that you could reasonably do with blockchain that may be super interesting. So they say we're going to use blockchain to solve this real tech problem. But we're going to raise money by doing this ICO, and we're going to sell coins using blockchain. And the problem is that there's no relationship between the technology that they're creating and the value of this coin that they're selling, which I is just it's gambling. Just, it's just a prey on human nature. Yeah. People want to collect just, things. They feel like they got to have some of those coins because it might be the next currency, and it's just a speculative bet. It, but it's a Ponzi scheme, right? You can it, it is only worth more if people want to pay more. Next, people, I mean, I suppose that's all markets. But, uh, but it's not like you look at it and go, well, what, what, what did the company do before I decide whether I want to pay more for this particular currency? You say, gee, I want some of that currency, and it's because people put money into who put money into Bitcoin at twenty. Are now making a ton of money because it's now worth thousands, right? How long do you think it is before we see a pitch, which is a company that sells software that enables other companies to do coin offerings? Oh, it's got to be built. Like, who's someone should be building That's that like right Levi's. now? That's like Levi's, right? We don't need to mine the gold. We'll yeah. just sell you the picks. 
Well, I, ta- I talked to a former student of mine who's working in a company that basically is creating that technology that enables companies to u- to better utilize blockchain, right? Which that makes more sense to me. Then I talked to another student who was thinking about uh, a fund related to, to to blockchain, right? So anyway, I think it's uh, I. Do you own any digital currency? Do you own any coin? I do not. I, 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 it's good to own coin. A digital coin or like coinage? Like I had some coins. I just collected up all my coins and I went to Molly Stones and I used their machine and I turned all of those coins into $328 worth of Amazon gift certificates. Is that you mean you what? gave them four hundred dollars worth about? of coin and you got three hundred? No, no, no. This is the beauty of Amazon. Oh, they're getting paying Amazon. the fee, right? Amazon wants you to use the Amazon dollars, and so they pay the conversion, so you don't lose any money. There's got to be some trade there. Yeah, who's trading? We can what? go in a circle, like a cool. perpetual money machine. No, I don't think so. Although that'd be good, but you could probably buy up coins from people at a discount if you took it into the machine and then use it for Amazon and then sell it on eBay. And sell those gift cards. No, then eBay takes their cut. Yeah, damn. <laughs> There's it's got to be a way. Keep working on it. It's keep working. On it. Anyway, so I, I don't. I think that there is. I think that ultimately there will be interesting things built on top of blockchain, like. I don't disagree with the, you there. I just look at ICOs and cryptocurrencies right now a little bit like people were looking at collateralized debt obligations in 2007 and nobody really understood what they were, but they were buying and selling and trading and that didn't end yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Unless remember, you were creating them, then it ended great. There was that other thing. Remember there were those, there was some like... Uh, God, I wish I could remember the thing. It was supposed to be super liquid, and the, all the high net worth people were putting their money into it. And toilet it, bulbs. It was, <laughs> and it was super. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, it was poppies. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but it was but like some some financial instrument that was supposed to be incredibly liquid. And the only thing is that all of a sudden one day people stopped buying and selling. And the mar- and the market just stopped. The bottom fell out of the market, and ultimately, all of the investment banks were sued. I forget. Oh God, I can't remember. But anyway, the whole point is, oh, yeah, if there's no these. market, did you have that? Yeah, Do you remember what that was? Yeah. Bill Trenchard yeah. had a bunch. It was like a, it, was, it was like a play on. <laughs> Sorry to call you out, Bill. It was like a play on treasuries, uh, and they like made it sound like a bank account. Some but it educational. Wasn't. Educa- it had some like yeah. education in the name. It was ugly. And I'm sure someone will tell us. But anyway, it, it went from like perfectly liquid and reasonable returns to completely illiquid and losing all of its value. They were and, sold as liquid bank accounts backed by treasuries, and it turned out that they were vapor. Yeah, exactly. And when yeah. they and when the and when the buck stopped, it stopped hard. Yeah. And a bunch of people, and then all the banks got sued, and they had to make good. It was ugly. So. One of my companies, um, Tony Mamoni and Danny Khatib, who were at Zimbio, and I remember right after we had backed them with Menlo, and this is Draper Richards' days, and this was happening, and I remember saying to Tony, where's your money? And he said, oh, it's in commercial paper. And I said, what do you mean by that? Yeah, right. And he said, I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and their entire $9 million of funding was locked up. This is up. the companies. Companies' money was locked up in this instrument. And 
we borrowed against our own locked up instrument with the bank. They, be, they because they, they didn't want badly. us to sue them. Yeah, no, they exactly. were like, and then eventually, a few years later, it, we got like ninety five cents on the dollar out of it. Ooh. But it was purely illiquid for a while. But I just remember Tony saying, "Smart Stanford graduate student saying, yeah, it's in commercial paper." And I'm thinking. What do you mean by that? Is that like toilet paper? <laughs> Who's commerce? Who's paper? What is it? No, this is the, we, so we have this conversation. Like people often think to themselves, "What an incredibly sexy job it is going to board meetings all day." And we discuss only the sexiest and most exciting of topics. And this is one of the topics we often discuss, which is if you raise a bunch of money more than you are going to spend, right? Then you have to put it put it somewhere. And so where do you put it? So they, so we all have, all these companies have to create an investment policy. And it always seems completely silly to me because the investment policy is absolutely simple. It is, there are two things and only two things that matter, completely safe and completely liquid, right? Now, if you can do those things and get a better, you know, better rate than if you just put it in a savings account, okay, fine, right? But don't make it less safe and don't make it less liquid. There's always one guy who's like, I can get 0.3% more if I just do that. Oh my and God, I, I, hate to the, myself, I hate that guy. <laughs> they do. And the more you raise, the more you're tempted because you're like, oh, if we got 2%, we'd have so much more money. No, this company You should have seen Dan, uh, Tony Mamoni's face when he learned out what his commercial paper was. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, if you're listening, somebody's going to send this to Tony. He'll call up, and he can be a guest next time. I just anyway. like the name Tony Mamoni. Isn't that great? I wish, I wish my name was David McMavid <laughs> and Howard McBoward. Tony is awesome. David McMavid and Howard McBoward coming to you live. I think we've covered all the most important topics today. <laughs> so I have a company now that is doing okay, but it's not a runaway success, and I have serious concerns for its ability to raise a next round of funding in a year. And a large company has come to them and met them a couple times, and then through their banker said, we would like to buy you. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, um, this doesn't happen very often, and we should you know, the business is not profitable. We're not sure we can raise money in the future. Things are way tougher than we thought it would be. Let's take this very, very seriously. And the CEO is thinking, well, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, but let me tell you about this other stuff going on over here. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> the number of times when you have a company that everything isn't going perfectly, that somebody wants to buy you, is less than one in 10. Oh my God, so, I bet you it's way worse than that. We have this illusion. That that uh, they well worst say, worst case you can always go out hire some bankers and sell the company right. You can hire some bankers. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. For the cases where I have hired bankers to sell a company where we didn't have inbound interest, I don't think we have ever gotten uh, money back. We've gotten some money back, but we've never gotten all the money yeah. back. Yeah. No, it, uh, it's. It's one of the things I've watched the very best bankers and the very best bankers have a very you you can watch them. Here's how it goes. They say, "Oh, your company's very interesting. We'd love to work with you. So give us a call when someone offers to buy you and then we'll come help you sell the company." It's like, "Well, why would I hire you if I have already got someone who wants to buy you?" But they say, "Look at 
If you have someone who wants to buy you, then we'll go hit the alternatives and try and create a bit of a market uh, and we can drive up the price. If there's enough interest, then we can go back and forth and we'll help you with the certainty of getting the company sold and that'll be great. And, and that's exactly what I've seen. Basically that, you know, bankers are good with process and if you already have an offer, they'll help you manage it. Uh, they've, I haven't seen lots of instances where they've been drummed up a lot of alternatives, but you know, usually they're able to increase the price enough to pay for themselves. <laughs> so that's good. I would say <laughs> d dirty little secret around hiring bankers is that in pretty much every case, if you don't have somebody wanting to buy you and you go out and hire a banker, it's a process issue. You're thinking probably the company won't be able to raise money and it could be a shutdown. So you want to give enough time to get bankers to help you raise money or help you sell the company. But on average, it does not turn out well. Usually yep. turns out with, we found you a buyer, you've got 25 million invested, they'll give you back $3 million and they'll take the team. Yeah. No, it's funny. I remember back. So it's amazing how this market has shifted so dramatically over such a short period of time. In the in the early days of kind of professional angels, right, where I was like, okay, I'm going to be an angel investor, but I'm going to raise a fund and I'm going to invest in a set of companies and I'll do it alongside my pals and all this stuff. Um, there was a sense that no matter what, you were fine because in the worst case scenario, you'd sell the team and some technology to Google, right? That was like, I always, I always heard it. Ah, I don't know what happens with this one, but if it doesn't work out, we'll sell, you know, we'll sell the team to Google or whatever. And I always said, how many companies do you actually think get bought by Google? Like what, you know, let's say it's a hundred, even if it's a hundred companies that Google buys, you know, how many angel how many companies are getting angel funded this year a thousand two thousand ten thousand yeah right probably a few and thousand. so that hundred and that that would be the most prolific acquirer is not going to make up for all of those even if you have buddies within the company that's not going to happen so and in most cases an aqua hire which looks like an acquisition is almost as many times no money nowadays changes hands. It's just jobs. Just jobs people. and a story. You feel, which by the way, I would much rather have my company and, my, and the team join uh, a big company and be part of it than just shut down, right? That, that's definitely better, but um, it is rarely the case that it is a, hey, we'll give you a billion dollars for your company. Well, what and percentage great. of venture-backed companies end up being worth zero half it's i bet you i bet you if you get to the series a it's less than half they get to zero but it's it's a much bigger percentage than anyone would think right i was just i just had a conversation with an entrepreneur where we were discussing this question of like so either you raise money or you sell the company or you go out of business and the entrepreneur said, well, so if we go out of business, what does that mean? I said, well, it means... It's like you are right now. I mean, you close the company. Like, you stop doing whatever you're doing and you turn off the servers and everybody goes home. And it was really, he was, he had, he was sort of shocked in a way that was sort of like, that is, is that a possibility, right? Did you say to him, have you ever heard of this company called Circuit City? 
Wow, Circuit City. He's never heard of Circuit City. He was too young to know Circuit City. Circuit City was the size of Best Buy, and then one day they were gone. That was shocking. Gone. It was a bad story. There was a sign out front. <laughs> Everything for sale this day only. <laughs> Come and get it. Come the, and get nobody it. Nobody even valued that brand. Yeah. No, it's amazing. So it is. It is. But So then there are these occasional like great outcomes. I've been having this conversation with people because, you know, these are the kinds of things I talk about because I have no life, Howard. <laughs> so this is the question for you. Because we live in this world where we, we're around these tech companies, they're always acquiring other tech companies. Uh, I, the conversation I have is, what is the best tech acquisition ever done by a tech company, right? And so I have two primary contenders. Instagram, which has just been an amazing business, hit, you know, just firing on all cylinders. What YouTube. Do you, what do you think their run rate is right now? Instagram, a couple billion. Billions. It's got to be billions. Yeah. They have more than a hundred million active daily users. They have, and they have an amazing sales execution team, right? Yeah. Or YouTube, which has even more users, incredible monetization. The only you problem is a whole nother topic. Not to interrupt you, but. <laughs> There was probably like some that companies topic? even bigger and better than those that got acquired and squashed. Yeah, for sure. But we'll never know. Well, I mean, anyway, we back, might. back we to might. Instagram and YouTube. So Instagram, YouTube. The other one that I was just as I was just saying that. So I was having this conversation with a super smart guy, and he said, "What about Next?" He said, "Apple was transformed by Next, and look how amazing Apple is now." And so, what about Next? But I think that's a little bit too far. Like, I, as, as an attorney who has well, dealt well, it in causation... Anymore. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, but his argument was, it's the operating system that transformed Apple into this incredible behemoth, and without it, they would have never succeeded. And I don't know if that's true, and it's very hard. So just in causation world, can you really uh, you know, give them full credit for that? But maybe. And then... Didn't didn't Google buy what was the big ad network? No, they Overture. No, they just no not it. Overture. They bought uh, uh, like ad server company. Didn't like Microsoft buy one and and Google bought one. And I'm sure Google's putting it to good well, use. I can tell you, I wasn't in that deal. Yeah, neither neither was I. Anyway, all right. So think what about the think? scope and scale of Instagram and YouTube. What I would say is seems to me like YouTube may be more fundamental than Instagram. Like Instagram as a point solution was at risk of being squashed by Snapchat, but they managed to fight the it opposite. off and, and squash back. But you don't really see anything, or at least not yet, that you feel like could put a huge dent in YouTube. Because, of, and maybe in both cases, it's just the content is so deep there, but the content in YouTube, you still go back and watch old content. Yeah. But in Instagram, it's much more in the present, and the older content isn't as valuable. So it would seem to me, both of them, they were bought for the same roughly billion, a billion dollars, billion three, and billion each of five. them is worth a couple hundred billion dollars each. I mean, if they had stayed and managed to, to achieve these things on their own, they'd both be, they'd be two of the most important comp tech companies in the world. Yep. 
I agree with you. Yeah. I think YouTube would be a much more important company. But more defensible. It costs two or three billion dollars of Google dollars for them to get out of the hole, settle lawsuits, build the tech, figure out the sales in order to become what it is. And Instagram was just like, and then they woke up and then they continued doing what they're doing and boom. Well, they had a few features here and there. And they hired- no, no, since then, yeah. They've, it's like they hired great people. I just had lunch uh, with Jim Everingham, who is awesome. Uh, Kevin Wheel and, is incredible. And we had backed Everingham at his prior company, Luminate, how to monetize photos. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. That one didn't quite work out as well as we would have hoped, but, uh, but he's an awesome guy. And then hopefully Kevin Wheel survived his six-day run. and Like, he ran 120 miles in five or six days with a buddy. <laughs> <laughs> got to be unhealthy. And he came in second or third in this competition, uh, but now he's back, so now he can create some more, some more uh, Instagram, um, Snapchat crushing features, also known as Instagram features. <laughs> Our buddy is also the uh, the head of product at Instagram, and I get a sense that I'm sorry at uh, Snapchat, and I get a sense that he's a little annoyed at this point. Like, stop it! Stop copying! By the way, we don't know anything about WhatsApp. Maybe WhatsApp's even better. In terms of making money, though. Fair point, but its scale is massive. But maybe later it makes money. We'll find out. Anyway, if you people listening have other contenders and you want to let us know, email us, hornick at augustcap.com. What are you, H. Hartenbaum? I don't know. It just comes up. Howard Howard. Howard at augustcap.com. At David Hornick. You don't have an at. At Howard H., but I don't use it much. I know. <laughs> Anything I just send to you. Hey, can you... That is true. You can you say, just tweet this? Here's a good tweet. Hit, this might be a good tweet. Here's okay. a good tweet. I'll tweet it. You're our social media your, manager. I'm your official tweeter. You're the tweeter. <laughs> so, yeah, let us know what you think are better. What else we I got, Alan? More? Like it's my job? I don't know. You've I, been busy this summer. That is true. This bullshit about like VCs go away and take the summer off and spend it in the south of France or wherever people I guess I've watched people are off in Cape Cod and in Martha's Vineyard or whatever. Like Rob they, Hayes, and they I mean, don't that guy do knows how to vacation. Ah, uh, he's like gone for the whole summer. Lucky bastard. First uh, money and Uber. Uh that works. Um, <laughs> the fr- you did some deals with him. Well, so did I. Yeah, we've been right? busy. We've What's been busy. the scoop? I I was I signed two term sheets the week of the Fourth of July. That's absurd. Like what? I was I, on jury duty the week of the Fourth of July. That's true. That's a whole other conversation. Oh my goodness, that's true. We didn't we get to hear about you. Were you the foreman? But, Maybe. <laughs> we had a bet that, of course, Howard would be the foreman. We started off, we picked another guy who was the foreman, but he couldn't do his job, so I just fired him and took over. <laughs> and he was okay with that? Yeah. He was like, okay, fine. No, he just pouted and did whatever I told him. But you just had to create structure. It seemed unlikely. Anyway, back to summertime work. All right, anyway, yeah, I just think that it's, I think that the reality of the venture business is that people are, people raise money when they can raise money. And that includes the summer. And if you are a venture investor who wants to go away for the summer, you're more than welcome to do that. 
but you won't miss out on all sorts of interesting stuff. That doesn't mean we can't take vacation. Obviously, we all have vacations, but I think the venture business is a really dynamic business, and it and it happens when it happens, right? And if someone is busy and they miss the opportunity to see something, it's a it's a shame. Like you can't have that. And both of these companies that I'm super excited about, I would have been. I could easily have not gotten the deals. They were competitive deals, and I could easily have not gotten them by just disappearing for a week. Um, but the beauty of that is you wouldn't have known. <laughs> Happy, blissfully ignorant <laughs> to the fact that I didn't... No, because we started the conversation. In fact, one of them, we signed, we came to a handshake agreement that Friday, and then the CEO went and told one of our you know, uh, competitors, I put that in quotes, but another v- VC, hey, by the way, I was supposed to come in on Monday, but I'm not going to come in. And they were like, what do you mean? <laughs> You're not coming in. I have a deal. I have come to an agreement. They like lost their minds. Like you can't have a deal. You're supposed to come in Monday. How do you have a deal? You get. What if we come come see you this weekend? We'll fly to you and we'll visit you this weekend. You're sort of like, no, it's not gonna happen. They were, and and I totally get that. That would be horrible. They're like, wait a second. Now I really want this deal. I didn't even like you before, and now I'm desperate for your deal. That's called screening through somebody else's fund. Yeah, except in this instance, not going to help you because I signed the term sheet. Got the deal. And I did, but just one deal to your two. Yeah, take that. But I do remember after we finished them, I was like, well, that's it for the summer. I'm done. No, I think you said that's it for the fund. That's it for my year. I did say I'm, you did for the I said year. I'm done for, for the year. year. I'm done for the year. And you all look like, no, you're not. Shut up. No, you're on enough boards. <laughs> That's totally If there's fine. new interesting stuff, you got to do them. And you always, and you haven't had your first board meetings yet. And you always wonder because sometimes you go to the first board meeting and they say something and you think to yourself quietly, I knew I should have asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> but it's too late now. Actually, one of them I was getting ready to fund, and then one of my other CEOs made a reference to someone in the company, uh, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. I better go do some do some Digging. work on that. Yeah. Make sure it was fine. I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine about it." Did you it. close those deals yet? I hope so. I don't know. You, know, you just passed it of, off I'm to the charge, lawyers. I'm not in charge of closing deals. I'm just that's in charge the lawyers. Of, job. I'm just in charge of making deals, Howard. I just make deals. I think you were supposed to close my That's deals. That's your T-shirt. Okay, yes, sir. Did you not? Did you not close my deals? <laughs> we have people for that. I think one of them is closed, and the other one we're sort of holding off for a particular reason. But it'll close. I feel good. I feel fine about that. How about yours? Um, kind of on track. We asked Doug to be on the board. This is good, actually. By the way, so we have. Doug Leeds has been here with us as an EIR, formerly the CEO of Ask, a fantastic guy, super smart, really deep in uh, in digital tech, and we saw this company and and he thought it was interesting and it was right up his alley, and so it's like great, why don't you work with us on it? And that's I think that'll be awesome. And and, and when the CEO and Doug and I were meeting, the CEO said, "Are you here to take my job?" <laughs> <laughs> and Doug and I sir? both laughed Please, and said, sir? no, that's not what we do. You should just be happy that Doug wants to help and doesn't get distracted. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He knew you weren't there to take his job. You can't do anything. VCs are like, God, you're so are, nice you, to are me. you here to take my job? No, we're not capable I of doing say your job. I can we are capable. I just don't want to. 
I've been a CEO before. You've been a CEO. I'm incapable. No, you might be capable. You just don't realize how painful it is. Oh, I'm sure it's horrible. So hard. The hardest part about it is you have people coming to you with personal problems. Oh, that I'd be fine with. You you know that's like that. That doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I don't mind the operational stuff. It's when people come to me and they've got their personal issues, and I'm thinking, go back to work. (laughs) Oh God. That is not a good management style. I have style. my own personal problems. Do you want to hear them? <laughs> yeah, let me share those with you. Maybe yours won't seem so bad. Yeah, no, that's not a good technique. No. I was talking with a guy this weekend who's the CFO for a company. And I, uh, he's a new CFO for this company. It's like a $50 million company. I said, what's it like? And he goes, well, actually, I think I'm also the CEO and the head of sales. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the founder and the CEO, this is a private company, it's never raised any money. He said, the CEO just doesn't really want to manage anybody. So, like, I worked there for a while, and I sent him, like, here's what I think we should do, and he didn't respond. And then I found if I sent him emails with, alert, there's a big problem, then he would call me back. <laughs> but there's, like, it's... <laughs> this just in. Yeah. So Could you imagine you in. took a job as a CFO and you actually were running the company? CFO types don't usually like running companies. No, no. Well, it's a different thing. It's, they'd be like you, going, "Don't share your your personal problems with me. That's not my issue." And I don't know how to do marketing. And I don't know. I, I've never run a company. I've never been in a company. I've seen lots of companies, and I certainly know how hard it is. Holy cow! I have nothing but monumental respect for entrepreneurs because it is so hard. And the fact that it works on occasion is just miraculous, like completely amazing. We've got a few that are working. I'm yeah, pretty good. No, we got got lots of good stuff. I'm uh, oh, always looking so, for more. That's right. If you got the next big thing, we're ready. We saw an awesome company today, and if all goes well, we'll be investors in it, and then we may even tell you about it sometime. Or maybe not. Or not. You'll never know whether we're talking about it. Are we going to buy their stock or their coin? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that. I want to actually have the security that I buy have underlying value that relates to the value of the company. That's so old school. Just because you don't understand the coin doesn't mean it's not good. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm just so old. If that's the if that's the new mode, I think it's pure speculation. But All we right. shall see. We do too. All right, folks. This is what we are going to leave you with. That warning. We believe that these ICOs that are where the value is independent of the actual value of the underlying assets is mere speculation. That being said, at the next venture cast, we're going to be doing an initial coin offering. <laughs> the venture cast ICO, the and it's going to be totally ICO. awesome. Do not miss out. It's going to be amazing. You, you might miss out. Yeah, that's true, and that would be bad, because you don't want to miss out. You don't want to miss out. All right, until then, this has been David Hornick from August Capital. And Howard Hardenbaum, also from August Capital. And thank you for listening to VentureCast.